Good morning once again, and I also want to say happy Mother's Day once more to all the mothers, especially my mom. She listens to our podcast, so mom, I love you so much. She laid down her life for my brother and I, and I'm so grateful for that, but even more so because she did introduce me to God, and that's part of the reason I'm here today is because of my mother. Thank you so much. Mom, I love you once more. And I also want to thank the Fontenot's who are back in Australia. They came for a few days and visited and taught, and that was awesome. I felt like I haven't preached in a week, which is a long time for me, but that was incredible. It was, it was great to have them come, and we spent time with them and teaching our church, so thank you so much, Mike and Tess, back in Sydney now. And also, you may see bags stage left or to your right. I always forget stage left and stage right, but anyhow, it's to my left, there's the bags, and I just want to thank Kids Ministry so much for teaching our kids. They do a phenomenal job of really introducing our kids to God. This is all about Jesus feeding the sheep, and the application of that was how we can take care of one another in the community. And so all the families brought canned goods and food to put on the stage this morning so that can be distributed. That's a really cool idea. Thank you, uh, Lizelle, for organizing that. There you are. But just, just go ahead and give Lizelle and Les a big round of applause. They do a phenomenal job. That's awesome. Now, growing up, or maybe as you got older, you may have, at one point, shopped for a church. Right? Because in our consumer-driven society, even church becomes an act of consumerism. Let me go to church to see what I can find that will meet my need. Right? So, in order to help us understand this a little more, there's a show called Church Hunters. I thought we'd take a little clip and look and see what it's like to actually shop for a church, which connects to our lesson. It's not just an act of comedy, by the way. It actually connects to our lesson today. So, let's look at this episode of Church Hunters. So you may want to attend a church that has proper volume at times. Maybe that's one of the things. I don't, I don't know what happened there. But there is this truth to, there is a kind of shopping mentality when people look for churches. What does this church offer me? How's the music? How's the pastor? How's the this? How's the that? that? That's, that's probably an exaggeration, that video. But none of us are immune to that. We kind of had this built in. And so the question shouldn't be, is this church right for me? The question should be, is this a church that follows the Bible. And what does the Bible say church should look like? If we only rely on our feelings and emotions, we'll be headed down the wrong road. But if we rely on the Bible, we're headed in the right direction. Now, thankfully, the Bible does have a snapshot of what the early church looked like. And that's what we'll read this morning. It gives us an accurate view to end all the church hunting. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We'll start by praying and then read the scriptures. Father, we are grateful for the communion and be able to fellowship with Christ and fellowship with one another. We pray that as we read your words, they come to life in our mind and call us to action and help us grow closer to you and understand you better and grow closer to one another. And then help this city understand the gospel message as well. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, we'll read to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And those many wonders and signs will be specified in chapters 3 and 4 of what was going on. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a great portrait of the early church. And what's happened in Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit has arrived. The disciples in the church was waiting for the Holy Spirit. It arrives in fire. And it fills the church, and Peter explains it to all of those listening, and out of those listening, 3,000 get baptized, and the church is born. And this is a picture of the church being filled with the Spirit, and what the Spirit should produce, or ought to produce, in a church. So if you want a church hunt or shop, this is where you look, because this is what the Spirit produced in the early church. It was 120 Acts chapter 1. Now it's over 3,000. Imagine, that's close roughly to our membership. Imagine after Sunday, tomorrow we're 3,120. What an electrifying event that would be. That would be crazy. We wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. There was an excitement. There was an electricity in the fellowship. And you can feel it as you read these scriptures. And it's almost like this is the church in honeymoon phase. Everything is awesome. Nothing's wrong. And as we read through the book of Acts, the church will grow and mature and experience discipline and hardship and persecution. But in this, in this setting, everybody comes to church on time. Everybody wants to serve in kids' kingdom without having to be dragged in there. Right? Every, everybody is involved. There's no excuses. Oh, sorry, bro, I can't make it. Sorry, sis. Every, it's electrifying in this passage here. This is an amazing, amazing picture. The Holy Spirit did not produce a list of do's and don'ts. It produced an attitude of devotion. And that's what you sense in verse 42. Now, before we dive in, it's helpful to explain this idea of devotion because we may think of it in terms of an employee is devoted when they come to work early and they do their work and they leave. That employee devoted. Or we may think of it in terms of a student or a teen who, who comes to class and pays attention and does their work devoted. Or we may think of it as a father who provides for his family. He tucks his kids into bed and he goes back to work devoted. Right? And those, those may produce warm, fuzzy feelings about devotion. But that's not this word in chapter 2, verse 42. It doesn't mean just simply dutiful and they're doing things. It's, it's a very intense word. In chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The same word will be translated continued in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, both of those words are translated devoted in the original language. Which is from a Greek word, proskatero, which means really, if, if you were to visualize this, it means to hold and cling to something steadfastly, and you do not let go. Hopefully that didn't break the mic, Petrus, but 
That was an illustration. And, and this word is from a root word that we'll, we'll find in, in the literature between the Old and New Testament from a book called Fourth Maccabees. Not that I do my extemporaneous reading from there, but in the research, there's, there's this word that pops up in Fourth Maccabees, and it, and it describes a family revolting against the Greek Empire. This is a Jewish family, and the Greeks are trying to get them to denounce Judaism. And here in this text, they're trying to get them to eat pork. And this is, this is four sons being persecuted, tortured, and killed. This is, this is historical. This is fact. There's a widow being made to watch her four sons denounce Judaism and try to eat pork. And one by one, they don't. And here's what this passage says. It's from 4th Maccabees chapter 9, verse 9, if you want to do some silent reading on that. But here's the way it described this widow looking on to her son. They've already killed the first son. And then before torturing him, they inquired if he were willing to eat. They're saying, eat this pork. And they heard his noble decision. These leopard-like beasts tore out his sinews with their iron hands or their claws. They flayed his flesh up to his chin and tore away his scalp. So they tried to get him to eat. He says no. Then they unleashed the beast on him. And the beast gnaw away at his flesh. But he steadfastly, that's that Greek word proskatero, devotion. He clung to his faith. He steadfastly endured this agony and said, how sweet is any kind of death for the religion of our ancestors. That's Acts chapter 2 verse 42. That's devotion. It's not, let me turn up to time. Let me turn up to church on time. Let me pay my respects. Let me pay my dues. No, it's holding fast. When they put you to the flames. That's what this is describing. Now with this in mind, let's see what kind of things the Holy Spirit called the church to be devoted to. Here's what it would have looked like. Again, this isn't lighthearted living. He's tortured on the wheel, but he is devoted to his faith and to his God. In this passage, the Holy Spirit calls us to be devoted to learning. It calls us to be devoted to fellowship, and it calls us to be devoted to the mission. Point number one, devoted to learning. The Holy Spirit promoted this, and the early church was devoted to learning. In this case, in verse 42, it's the apostles' teaching, which modern day would be we have the same attitude toward the scriptures. The early church, whenever the apostles were teaching, they were there. They heard the initial message in chapter 2 that Jesus is the Messiah. They heard the message about repentance and baptism. They got baptized, but it didn't end there. They came to hear whenever the apostles were teaching. In verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Why there? That's where the people were. That's where the apostles were teaching. In the temple courts, every day. Later on in Acts chapter 5, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts. This is the apostles. And as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. So this is the habit of the early church. The apostles go to Solomon's colonnade. It's a big porch. They go and they start teaching. Everybody comes to hear. Because they're devoted to the teaching. Same thing in Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts. And then it doesn't just end there. Then they spill into the homes. And from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So they gathered to hear the apostles because they were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted 
to the scriptures. Now think about this. It's not just like they had their little daily bread. Right? You know, there's, there's this, and, and, and if you read the daily bread, it's, that, that's, that's fine. But it's, that's not really devotion. It's a little scripture with a nice little fuzzy sentiment saying God loves you or something like that. But, but devotion to the scriptures is when you get put to the flames and they say, and, and the world says, no, don't trust the Bible, trust your feelings. Because that's what's important. What feels right is right. And what feels good to you, that's what's really important. And that's when, the, that's when you're really put to the test and say, no, I feel like doing something, but the scripture calls me to something different. That's what devotion is. Or it's when the world says, you can't be too narrow in your understanding of salvation. You can't be too narrow because that's, that's what the world would try to say. And to being devoted is to say, no, the Bible says there's only one way to be saved. And I'm going to stay devoted to that. Or it's when the world says, hey, your past experiences in this church, even though they were 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, they're hurtful and harmful. They're, they're, they're going to stick with you and haunt you. And that's the reason why you shouldn't keep going to church is because of what's happened in the past. The world will try to tell you that. Satan will try to tell you that. Yeah. Devotion is saying, no, I'm not going to let past hurts define what the Bible says. Amen. That's devotion. That's what the Holy Spirit produced in the early church. No, I won't listen to my feelings. No, I won't listen to the world. I'll be devoted to the scriptures. That's what it produced. Every member has to be like that for a church to be described as devoted. And that's what happened in this early church. What should we be learning? What should we be devoted to in the scriptures? Well, there are lots of things. Ephesians 4 says we should be devoted to the basic teachings. We should learn... The basics of Christianity. The early church was devoted to always learning. In Ephesians 4 it says, You weren't taught that when you learned what you heard about Christ. And you were taught in Him. That's a contrast. Your old way of life, but now you learned a new way of life. We have to be devoted to just learning the basics of Christianity when we become Christians. And learn that now we have a new lifestyle. We also need to learn more about the heart and not rules. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. Jesus tells this to a group of Pharisees. Go away and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They come to him, they're rule laden, and he says, you guys need to go away and learn. And learn what this means. It's not about the rules, it's about the heart. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go and learn that lesson. That's what he tells the Pharisees. And we need to learn that lesson as well, to be devoted to the Scriptures. What else do we need to learn? We need to learn to cooperate with Jesus. That's Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Christianity is about working hard. It's about learning to cooperate with Jesus, because He does the hard work. And we need to be devoted to the Scriptures in that sense. We also need to learn contentment. That's what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 12. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. All of that's covered. But there's this constant learning process throughout the Scriptures. Jesus says, go learn what this means. Paul says, I've learned this. Jesus says, you need to learn this. And the church is a church devoted to learning because of the Holy Spirit. Not learning in your Christian life, there may be one of many reasons. Too much sin, perhaps. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 says, People loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil. 
always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of truth. You're learning lots of facts, learning lots of neat stories, lots of neat things about the Bible, but never learning it truth. Too much sin. Load it down with sin. Or you just don't care. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 says, We have a lot to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear because you're not trying to understand. You just don't care. Now the Holy Spirit doesn't produce those kind of examples. It produces a devotion to learning. And that's what our church would strive for. In the last six months, what, what Bible verse has really popped out in your life? In the last year, what idea, what concept, what chapter, what, what spiritual principle has really come to life and you've learned from because you're devoted to the Bible? When's the last time you asked someone else, what does this passage mean? What does this mean? I don't understand it. I've studied it. I've read it. There's a brother that texts me quite often. He says, what does this mean? I'm still digging into this passage. I love that phrase because he's, he's trying to figure it out. He's devoted to learning, and our church needs to be devoted to learning also. Amen? Point number two, devoted to the fellowship, fellowship, or the fellowship, whichever one you want to call it. Felly for the fellas. The Holy Spirit produced this church that held steadfastly to fellowship. Again, the church swelled to 3,000 overnight. That's crazy. All these people in Acts chapter 2 are from different parts and they come to Jerusalem for, for Pentecost. They get converted. Some of them actually stay in Jerusalem. Some of them go back to their homeland and they spread the gospel there. But in verse 42, it says they're devoted to the fellowship. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's not communism or socialism. They owned property for themselves. And then they gave it to someone else to own for themselves as the need arose because they were devoted to the fellowship. And that's part of the reason why later in Acts, the Jerusalem church is poor. They've given away all their stuff. So Paul has to go around to other churches and take up a collection to help out Jerusalem. Even when you do give, God will sort it out in some way if you're devoted to the fellowship. Verse 46, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This sounds like a group that just love to be together. What does all this mean? Devoted to fellowship. Well, it doesn't mean, fellowship doesn't mean having a chat after church over tea and coffee. I mean, that, that's a chat, <laughs> right? And, and I encourage that, right? But don't say, I've, come, I've, had, I've had one conversation, that's fellowship. The, the word translated by fellowship means sharing jointly with someone. And there's scriptures that really connect this idea. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, if anybody has any joint sharing in the spirit, it's the same word, fellowship. If you share jointly in the spirit, Paul goes on to say, then be like-minded. Later in Philippians, Paul says, chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know the power of Jesus' resurrection and fellowship in his sufferings. I want to share in his suffering. That's not just some lighthearted thing. This is being jointly connected to Jesus to understand his sufferings and his resurrection. That's the same word that Paul uses. He also uses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. What fellowship can light have with darkness? How can they be joined together? They can't be joined together. So fellowship isn't just conversation. It's being joined together. And the early church was devoted 
to this. The Holy Spirit produced this devotion to the fellowship. They, they, they were joint in everything. In their ministry, they were, they were together. In their resources, they were together. In their prayers, they were together. In their meals, they were together. In everything, they were together. And that would have been awesome. That's what the Holy Spirit produces. Now, again, this, it, it, there'll be the world and your own sinful nature will, make you, will put you on the wheel and say, you don't have to be that dedicated. You don't have to be that devoted to Jesus and His body. It's okay if you pursue your career a little bit slightly ahead of God, even if it's just for a little while. It's okay to be devoted 99% and let that 1% to yourself. That's what your sinful nature, that's what the world will try to tell you. But being devoted is saying, no, I'm not going to let my sinful nature and the world dictate. I'll be devoted to the fellowship. Or maybe it's your idea of what church should look like or shouldn't look like. The pastor should be hip with jeans that are frayed and holes. And, you know, that kind of whole church shopper idea where you should have lightning and smoke and jumbotrons and whatever. That doesn't all matter. You should be devoted to one another. That's what this scripture calls for. And the world, again, will put you on the wheel. You'll have conflict with each other. Again, this is the honeymoon phase. Everybody's just fired up. Hey, bro, come to my house. I'd love to. Can I come to yours next? I'd love to. Now, later on, when people start dropping, like Ananias and Sapphira, people get a little bit scared. <laughs> you know? Acts 15, when Gentiles start coming into the church, Jews start questioning. So, you know, this is the honeymoon phase, but this is what we ought to aim for. This is what we ought to return to. And, and, and so over time, though, I think we lose the sense of devotion to the fellowship that's described here. Yeah. And it's not manufactured. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. This is after the church fi is filled with the Spirit. Yeah. And it describes a devotion. I think we lose it when we get the mentality, you know, I I'd rather pick and choose who's in my Bible talk. Yeah. Because I really connect to these people, but these people not so much. Now I understand how we all connect differently to people, but if we're devoted to the fellowship, who cares whose group you're in? doesn't matter because you're devoted to the fellowship not just a single person or you know I'm really starting to think I need to pick and choose who helps me who mentors me who coaches me who trains me who disciples me you know what there is a some degree to truth to that but if you're devoted to the fellowship you'll just be fired up to be learning from somebody or you think you know what I'd rather kind of rank the church events that I need to go to some that I don't need to go to and some that I definitely don't need to go to but if you're devoted to the fellowship everything is hey I'd, I want to be connected as I can because the Holy Spirit produces this type of devotion in comparison with what the Spirit produced in this church how would you rate your devotion to fellowship on a scale of 1 to 10. Or even more telling. Ask someone else. How would you rate my devotion to the fellowship? Or even more telling. Ask your kids. How would you rate our devotion to the fellowship? The Spirit created devotion to the fellowship. And let our church allow the Spirit to create that sense as well. Lastly, and thirdly, the Holy Spirit produced a devotion to the mission. 
the Holy Spirit, it, it infused the church with this, this concept of spreading the gospel. And it'll trail geographically throughout the rest of the book of Acts. It'll start in Jerusalem, it'll go to Judea, it'll go to Samaria, it'll go to the ends of the earth. And it'll come to Auckland, and it'll come to New Zealand, and it'll go to the spa region. It'll go everywhere. But in the book of Acts, the, the Spirit produced this devotion to the mission. And what, what's been described so far is awesome. Verse 42, there's, I mean, they, they, they sat at the feet of the apostles. They, they broke bread. They're having meals. And in, in the context of those meals, they would share communion. Everybody's filled with awe. It's like awesome. And all these performances, not performances, but so, wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Everybody has everything in common. They're meeting. They're just happy. But it doesn't stop there. Because verse 47 says they praise God, so they're worshiping. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you're church, honey, you want, you want, a, you want a church that's devoted to the scriptures and to the fellowship, but it not, doesn't end there. It has to be a church devoted to the mission, because that's what the Spirit produced in this passage. It wants to produce in you and me and our church. In verse 46, it says they met in the temple courts. Again, this is where the crowds met, so that's why they went there. This is where you'll find the disciples and the apostles in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 4, and some of Acts chapter 5. This is Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's porch. And what happened is, you know, there are specific times in Judaism where they would go and pray, and so they still kind of stick to that a little bit. But normally, the apostles just start, they just go to the lecture hall early in the morning, Start teaching, start preaching about Jesus. The whole church kind of rocks up and it becomes one big missional collective togetherness. <laughs> so it wasn't just let me, let me go share my faith. Let me get it. It was a unity. It was a community devoted to spreading the gospel. And how do we know that? Well, in, in this verse, it, it describes this kind of fellowship. And no one's even really telling them to go and talk to people. It's just that's what the Spirit produced. Right? Nobody's even telling them, hey, you need to share with her and you need to share with him. The Spirit just produced that. And in this case, the Spirit produced this sense of we got to tell people about Jesus. Where are the crowds? Solomon's colonnade. That's where we'll be. Teaching people about Jesus. And, and, and that's awesome. And, and, and so you, you see that the Holy Spirit uses this devotion to spread the gospel. Now, I think, again, there's, there's the temptation from your sinful nature to say, uh, it's not really my gift to talk to people about Jesus. Well, I don't think it's anybody's, I don't think it's the majority of people's gift. But it's a call from the scriptures, and, and there'll be the temptation to say, no, I, I think we need to concentrate more on this. Or we need to concentrate more on this. But if you're devoted to the mission, you say, I, I don't feel like it, but I want to be with my brothers and sisters so we can tell people about the gospel. At some, at some level, you'll connect, or maybe I don't know enough, or maybe, you know, I disagree with how we've taught people the Bible in the past. I disagree with our Bible study system, whatever. It's still just an excuse to not share your faith. And if you don't like to do it on your own, don't do it on your own. Do it with somebody else. That's what they did here in this passage. It was all of them together. 
The question is, are you allowing this Holy Spirit to produce that sense of devotion to the mission in your life? Is your mindset, where are the crowds? Where are the crowds? Because they got to hear the gospel. And I understand our life goes through ebbs and flows. And, and sometimes we're busy with, and we have different life stages. And, and we're always learning and we're always growing on how to present the gospel. But we need to be devoted to the mission. That's what the Holy Spirit produces. You know, what, what, what does this look like in your practical life? You know, I have lots of conversations in the fellowship afterwards and as, we, as we hang out and talk to one another. But rarely does someone come up and say, man, I'm reaching out to this guy. Can you pray for me that he's open to the gospel? And, I, you know, maybe that is going on, but I think that's the kind of conversations that sprinkle salt in the fellowship, right? Hey, no, I'm, try, I'm really trying to help my friend understand the Bible and understand God. Can you pray that he gets it? And then you can carry on talking about whatever else we talk about, right? And I, I, I find it's, it's helpful if you solicit these kind of prayers. Hey, pray for me. I'm afraid to talk to people about Jesus. Pray for me. I'm afraid to study the Bible with somebody. Now, again, this, isn't, this doesn't describe our entire church, but occasionally we're all like that. We're all like that. There, there's heaps of people in this fellowship that are always on the mission. Always dedicated. Always devoted. And that's awesome. At the end of the day, though, we can have great fellowship. We can have great Bible teaching. But if we're not saving souls, and the Lord, it's, and it's important, it says the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It's not like we did it and say, look at our trophies of converts. It's the Lord adding to the number. But it's produced when the Holy Spirit brings about a devotion to the mission. Now, in comparison with what's produced here by the Spirit, how would you rate your devotion to the mission? And again, if it's not here, it's not to guilt trip you. It's to more say, let me just follow the Spirit to let me do what it wants to do anyway. Because that's what it wants to do. And it wants to do this collectively. At the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is what produced all this. Now, in Acts chapter 1, they're waiting for it, right? Everybody's sitting around. They're praying. They're waiting for it. It comes and boom. Church is born. It goes in to honeymoon phase. But the reality of today is we don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit. It's already here. It's already dwelling inside of us. We don't have to sit around and say, what do we need to do? What do we need to devote it to? It's already inside of us. It wants to be devoted to the teaching of the Bible. It wants to be devoted to one another. And it wants to be devoted to the mission. The ultimate example of this is Jesus, isn't it? He's the ultimate example. Hebrews says he learned obedience. So he was devoted to the teaching of God. And he learned obedience, he learned obedience by suffering. And so he learned, he learned the scriptures, but eventually he learns, I have to go and suffer on the cross. Was he devoted to one another? Absolutely. Because the Bible says he came and he laid down his life for humanity. His devotion, no question. Was he devoted to the mission? Absolutely. His whole purpose of coming is to seek and save the lost. He's devoted to the teaching of the scripture. He's devoted to you and me. He's devoted to the mission. And the church is a modern day Jesus. 
And we should imitate Him and be filled with the Holy Spirit and follow His plan. Let's individually and collectively imitate what the early church saw as a result of the Holy Spirit. Let's all as individuals be devoted, holding steadfastly to the Bible, learning and growing. Let's all be devoted to the fellowship, to one another, and let that start to generate a sense of awe and wonder. And let's all be devoted to the mission in Auckland and in New Zealand. Amen.